in this episode. What we learned from IT 20 years ago is still valuable. And then operate how you need to operate. And security on the public internet, it's easier than you think. gas has always challenged technology. Now it's time for tech to challenge back. Come hear how the best minds in the industry are making those solutions a reality on the Oil and Gas Technology Podcast with your host, Mark LaCour. Hey folks, before we get to our guests today, real quick, can you do me a favor? Leave a review. The show is new. The reviews help your peers find the show. And if you'd like us to change something, when you leave me a review, tell me what you'd like to change. You'd like to have more bigger companies on here, more smaller companies, less of me talking. Just let me know. And then big shout out to Nutanix. They're the sponsor of the show. If you need help modernizing your data center, run an application at any scale on-prem or in the cloud, these are the folks you want to talk to. And I'm sitting here today with SGV International. I'm sitting here with Armando and Keith. How y'all doing today? Pretty good. How are good. you? How are you doing, Mark? Dude, so busy. It's the beginning of the year. It's, you know, we're busy growing. I think y'all had a good year last year. It's just, you know, nice to hit 2020 and come out with a bang. And we talked to this before I turned the microphone on. We're, the chickens weren't outside. <laughs> no, they probably just didn't get around to the front yet. Yeah. yeah. So the first time I came to y'all's office, there were chickens outside. And come to find out, there's actually a backstory to the chickens, which is actually kind of cool. But it's just interesting to see chickens in, in, in Houston. But they're they're here. Now, y'all don't actually do anything with chickens that I know of. No, 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 no we no. do not. No. <laughs> what does SGV International actually do? So SGV International is an industrial telecoms engineering, design, and construction management organization. We're focused in industrial controls, telecoms, ICS cybersecurity, and operations in that environment. Yeah, and y'all have a lot of oil and gas customers, and today we're going to talk a little bit about security, but we're not going to talk about cybersecurity from an academia point of view. We're going to talk about it from a real rubber-hit-the-road point of view, and a lot of what y'all do is help your customers build and maintain process controls, right? That's correct. Yes, that's yeah. correct. And that world has changed so much. It used to be that was all analog and it was not connected to the internet, and now all that's changed, which means there's many more points for bad guys to come in and do bad stuff, right? Yep. Absolutely. And I think what we've seen over the last, I don't know, few years or so, 10 years maybe, is what we saw in the IT space for security 20 years ago, right? We're going to these conferences and, and listening to some of the things of how to protect your industrial controls environment. It's the same thing we were talking about 20 years ago with your IT environment. Put your firewalls in, segment your traffic, that sort of thing. And it, it's very simple. It's just that Industrial controls has never been that way before. So they're as they're getting in new, they're refreshing their their equipment, and these this new equipment needs to be have needs to be IP versus analog. So now, how do they get to this this equipment to manage it, monitor or whatever? So there there's these new hurdles that they're having to to reach. Yeah, and it's interesting only gas to watch that operational technology or OT is usually a different group of people than IT. So the IT people know cybersecurity, or they know of it, right? And they have expertise, domain expertise. But a lot of times, the operational technology guys are worried about just getting the job done, right? And they don't necessarily think of security, but that's a big mistake, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I think in the OT space, there's kind of even a, a, another separation of that. There's the OT, and then there's the engineering side of it, right? And the engineering folks that are actually looking at the sensors and the PLCs, and then there's the transport guys in the OT environment. Those guys are kind of just now getting the awareness that the IT industry has had for several years on, on cybersecurity and how to protect those assets. 
Yeah, but this is literally y'all's bread and butter, or part one of your your bread and butter buckets. So, so one of the things I think is interesting is y'all are almost like the first line of defense, right? Because you're monitoring your clients' network, so y'all are the first to see, and also I guess the first to react. Yes, we we do. You know, we we see the incoming alerts. We do react to those. A lot of times we can hit it before the client ever sees it. Right? We can get to it, address it, and and resolve it before they even know that they, they they see it in the tickets. Because we have to, you know, open our tickets and 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 get them to a resolution. But at the same time, we're normally taking care of issues before they even know that they happen. And I think to kind of step back from that, I think you know an approach that we take is actually in the design and architecture phase of the environment is really looking at operational models and understanding how our client operate, what type of traffic patterns, what type of data exchanges they have, how their remote user access methodologies are going to be put in place. And so we have, a, you know, initially we have a pretty good awareness of those traffic patterns. So that helps us, you know, baseline the environment and then look at anomalies from that point. Actually, you brought up a really good point. So how important it is, so let's say there's an oil gas company out there and they're getting ready to build some remote infrastructure out in West Texas somewhere, right? This is the point they would they would call you all in for help. How important is it to be thinking of cybersecurity before you build or place the first PLC out there? It's 1A, 1B, right? You yeah. know, I mean, it's it's very important. I mean, it's, it's kind of part of the whole definition and requirements definition of how you're going to go about the architecture process. Again, we start out with operation, looking at operational models, looking at, you know, business requirements, and then implementing cybersecurity methodologies that either A, industry standards or our clients' own policies and principles that they have already pre-developed. Yeah, but there, there has to be some tension there, right? So, you know, you could probably make it the most secure you could possibly make it, but then that might not work for the business. It may not actually yeah. help an operator produce oil, right? No, so that's a, a balance good, there. That's right. a very and good that's, point. That's, no. I mean, that leads to what, I mean, leads into what Armando had, had said. That's the first thing that we we ask our clients when, when we sit down with them is what's your operational model? You know, how are you planning to operate? And so what we want to do is we want to put a secure t- architecture in place, but at the same time, we do not want to hinder the business from being able to get the information or the data or whatever it is they're trying to get. We don't want to keep them from getting that, right? So we want to make sure that they, they can do it securely, but at the same time, make it as easy as possible for the engineers to work and operate. And I think along the way, we also realize that there's user awareness training that needs to happen. Everybody talks about digital transformation, but that that really comes with you know, the transformation has to start at the individual, right? At the persons that's going to use the environment and make sure that that environment, A, is aligns with their business requirements and their operational models, but B, also that they have some training and awareness of how to leverage that. You know, security starts at the user level, really. Yeah. Absolutely. We can put in all kinds of controls in place, but if the user doesn't understand why the controls are there, then the first thing they're going to do is try to bypass them. And they will. And they will. <laughs> yes, they will they do will. everything they can to try to bypass that. That is interesting from a cultural point of view that if you can get the end user to understand why stuff's there, they're they're happy with it. But if you don't spend the time educating them, like you said, they'll figure a way to get around it because they're trying to hurry up and get the job done. Well, in, in OT space, it's a little bit more so because, like we said, the OT engineers are the ones that are also managing the networks, right? So they typically have control over these networks, whereas a typical end user on enterprise environment, that industry is so locked down from, you know, from years of experience that the typical user doesn't have the capabilities to bypass some of those controls where on the OT side, they're managing all aspects of it so they can do whatever they want. 
it is funny to look how locked down the enterprise IT space is. And it has to be, right? But to the point where people can't even load anything on the machines. And I, I have to raise my hand. We do it too. <laughs> We're an all Apple shop, but I have control of all my people's machines. I have control of what gets pushed out policy. You have to in today's world, right? So what are some common mistakes that you see companies make in the beginning? When, when they're doing field operations and they're looking at building networks to bring that data back to town or back to headquarters? No segmentation, right? I think that's the biggest mistake that they make is they just, they just put everything on their existing corporate network and they just ride their backbones back to their, to their data center or wherever. They do not put any kind of restrictions. You know, they don't segment that, that traffic off. They don't restrict who has access into that environment and what that environment can get into in their business on the business side. So, you know, our, our first thing is, well, we need to put a firewall in here and just kind of segment this traffic off and then kind of restrict the data flows of what's going in and out of that OT environment. And I think to add to that, it also comes, you know, the mistakes are related to where along that maturity scale our right. clients are, right? You have obviously some of the larger operators that are very far along, understand and have very well-defined policies and standards. And you have some of the independents that are quite not quite there just because, you know, where they are in the in their operations. And and so we have to actually step back and go, okay, let's let's look at, you know, what are some guidelines and principles that you should follow? Some don't even have that. And how do we architect to that? You know, and how do we implement the controls, security controls to be able to a allow you to operate the way you need to and be able to respond to events and incidents. Or, or even if it's even if it's for data exchanges with third parties and and venture you know joint ventures, so we have to look at it from that whole holistic view and step back and say, look, where are the where's your low hanging fruit that we can go and address some key issues right away to get you to that next step that gets you know that we can start targeting and focusing. It's all about investment dollars, right? We got to look out where you're going to put your investment and where you're going to get the biggest you know return on on that investment. It is interesting. So when I think of process control, and I've been around SCADA my entire life, you never really thought about security, right? And it's, and I don't know about now because I haven't touched that in years, but it used to be there was no firewalls on PLCs. There, there was literally nothing. If you had the software to talk to it, you could talk to it. There's still process control systems out there that are from the 70s, right? So, you know, those are the... Those are the challenging ones, right? Because you can't really implement some of the, some of the control measures that we try to, to preach, to our clients, you know, patching is is one of the simplest things you could do. But some of these systems, you know, as Keith can tell you, that are just don't even don't even have that capability yet, right? Yeah, I mean, some of the older. I mean, we still see XP machines out. Uh, I think somebody had mentioned NT four O they had on their in their environment one the other day. So it's it's that it runs the gamut, right? And so trying to get a a patching policy in place can be difficult, but at the same time, it's it's getting the vendors, the older vendors, to upgrade their systems, and that's what the people are relying on, right? The the operations teams are only relying on the tools that they have, and if those vendors can't upgrade those tools to the point of getting it on new OSs, then they're just kind of they have to do something to either try to isolate that off or do put other controls in place to keep that environment more secure than so that it doesn't impact their other. And we see that a lot in, in a lot of the, you know, divestiture and acquisition activities that are going on in the, or happen routinely in the oil and gas as you're acquiring new fields and they're the the SCADA systems that are in place there may not, you know, integrate well with, with your existing environment. So there's always a bridging happens or some integration 
activity that has to happen. And we see a lot of mistakes done in that, you know, in that process, right? They're, they're just looking at how quickly can we take over this field and how quickly can we start operating and getting visualization of this field versus what's and even the right answer. You know, how fast the first oil, you know, yeah, how, right. it, so they just kind of get it in, let's go. And well, that's so a good point. I mean, we see that a lot on some of these big major projects where, where the architecture and design happened three years prior to getting to first oil. So by the time that the facility even goes into operation, they've got, they're already in some outdated and, and some, you know, not quite up to standard architectures. So we're, we're retrofitting some of these new greenfield facilities even today as, as, you know, as far along as we are in this, you know, in this whole industry. Yeah, it's funny. It's, um, it's a dirty secret that no CTO or CIA wants to talk about oil and gas, but XP is still around. And Microsoft is Microsoft is finally quit supporting it, right? They they yes. they they said they were going to quit supporting it, but they didn't. And but I think they finally quit supporting, finally quit issuing patches. So let me ask you this: since this is what y'all do day in and day out, if an operator or or any company out there is looking to acquire assets that has existing SCADA and it's old. Can y'all help remedy that without replacing the SCADA system? Can y'all add another layer that somehow helps with the security that's not built into the hardware of the old SCADA? Yes. I kind of have to be careful with saying that because it just depends on the environment, but we right. do what we can to to do that. Yeah. So what we'll do is come out and assess what that environment is, and then we can make recommendations on the types of controls that we'd put in place to try to help secure that. Yeah, we've, we've been through some recent M&A activities that has had that ex- exact situation where where the acquisition is basically the SCADA system was was transitioned to a new new SCADA system for the assets that were acquired, whereas the legacy sites were still in the in kind of a disparate operational model of, of various systems. So integrating all of those into into historians, into you know user visualization environments, into production volume management systems. All that was an effort that we undertook along with our clients and, and some of their other vendors to make sure that that was done in a secure and efficient way that met their operational models and their requirements. Yeah, it's cool that you're able to come back and help help increase security and stuff that wasn't designed for it in the 70s. Because I know a lot of oil and gas companies out there, they're just not going to spend the money to forklift their entire SCADA system. So if you can help them integrate that into something more modern, that's that's a big plus. Well, I think one of the things that that we, we kind of you know help them understand is that you know, there's numbers out there. There's there's a million malware coming out every day. There's there's hundreds or thousands of of data breaches. There's hundred millions records of data that are stolen every day. So you know, you really once once they start seeing those numbers and they understand that you know this risk is real, I think that's that's when they start you know appreciating or trying to look towards how do we mitigate some of these risks? And again, in the oil and gas industry, it's always been really difficult to quantify some of those risks, right? It's really, you know, you hear a lot of the horror stories, but you know, what is the actual impact? Well, I can tell you from, so I run a small company. I have 13 people. We've been attacked more than once, right? Big shout out to Microsoft and Office 365 for making sure they maintain a secure environment as well. But, you know, in the 2020, it's not something that you can say, what if? It's going to happen to you. At some point, somewhere, it's going to happen. And that threat continues to get worse. So if you're a company out there and you don't have a policy and procedure in place, and if you don't test, you're going to get hit. And and the bad thing about in oil and gas is it's most probably going to affect your production, right? And so you end up losing revenue. And you get somebody that comes in and, and locks down your system, like with the ransomware type of stuff, you just can't operate in 2020, right? So that cybersecurity thing, if, if, you're, if you're not practicing, it you you absolutely need to 
the cool thing about y'all though is because y'all have that networking experience, you also probably understand physical security as well. We were talking about people earlier before we turned the microphone on. You can have the best cybersecurity in the world, but if if you let you know, somebody put on an HVAC uniform and walk into your data center and plug a USB in, you're still hosed. Right. right. So from a from a physical security, is there some things in the beginning that companies need to think about, you know, that that helps with the cybersecurity element? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you want to have, you know, your your networking equipment or your your devices in a in a locked facility, of course. It depends on on, on the environment as well. So process controls would be a little bit different than a SCADA environment. So process controls, you would have your control room that's isolated only to those that have access to those systems and you you know want to kind of those are usually 24 7 manned and so there's somebody in there all the time but still that data center locked away from from them so they can't actually go in and, and access some of those systems sometimes without a key or signing in right so there's there's pieces in place that make sure that we you're kind of managing who's in and out of those systems. So there's a record of people accessing certain environments, you know, using shared passwords, user accounts, those things that they can kind of keep in mind, but that gets away from the physical access. One one thing I wanted to add is that, you know, we also have, you know, location of the environment, right? There's a difference between being offshore on a production facility versus onshore in a field environment. And, And a lot of people think because they are offshore in a floating facility that, you know, you're safe and secure and those, you know, equipment comms rooms can be unlocked and open. However, there's, you know, situations that we've seen where just a non-malicious actor has gone to look at a a tag on a fiber jumper and has actually pulled that fiber out that shut in a facility. You know, that, that costs that operator millions of dollars for one, for, you know, however many of our, you know, a day's worth of, of a non-production outage. So versus onshore, where you see remote field assets, tower sites that may or may not be locked, may not may or may not be secure. You know, you've got well pads with with LTE modems connected to PLCs and, and RTUs, things like that. That you know, those are those are things that you have to consider as you're coming up with your physical security plan. Do you have cameras? Do you have lock gates? Do you have security? guards what what's the right approach and it just really depends on on the environment the client and the location i think it's funny you talked about pulling a fiber jumper so i got my start with the phone company east bell south 25 years ago and we had a major we had one of those super majors accidentally issue a disconnect and they disconnect their entire pipeline SCADA system we didn't do anything wrong but you have never seen phone rings as fast as when that pipeline went down because that's literally millions of dollars an hour and lost revenue. And you're right. All it takes is somebody that doesn't have a malicious bone in their body just touching something they shouldn't be touching. Yep. So I, I kind of want to back up even further. So I, I love the fact that y'all have all this field experience and all this experience in oil and gas, but y'all also have to kind of understand the constraints too, right? Because a lot of times in the field, you don't have good bandwidth. You may have VSAT connection where you have latency, that sort of stuff. And yet still you're able to build these secure networks working with those constraints in the oil and gas industry. And I think we we look at it from uh, trying to be transport agnostic right you know obviously transport is what what you have available to you in that in that location or that that region but you also have to be able to implement the security controls on top of that right so, armando mentioned lte right there's a lot of lte is popular now because it's it's in the remote locations it's cheaper and it's easier to get something out there but at the same time what we've seen is people putting lte directly on the public internet and then getting access to their environment that way right so no, they don't change default usernames or passwords or anything. And, and if you use something like Shodan to do a scan or for a particular 
PLC or whatever, you're going to find things or RTU, you'll, you'll find them readily available on the internet. And so people just need to understand how to, to lock that down and keep that. The internet is not a safe space. It's an easy <laughs> space to, to access. But if it's easy for you to access, it's also easy for the uh, an attacker or and somebody that, malicious. That goes back to what we were talking about is having some practical approaches to be able to provide the end user an ability to do his job, right? You know, if you put really strict remote access controls, they're going to bypass that. And we see that quite a bit where they bypass it with a device or some other backdoor transport mechanism that allows them the quick, easy access they need to do their job. So if we can architect a way to provide that up front that, you know, gives us the security measures that we need, then I think that's, you know, that's a success for everybody. Yeah, Keith, I want to go back real quick and just, I want to back up just a little bit. You can have security in the public internet, right? You, you end up with IPsec tunnel. Or sure, something exactly. Like, right. Yeah. It's just so, a way to do it. Yeah. You well, what you sure. don't want to do is just have open internet access because right. you're inviting trouble when you do that. Yeah. Recently, you saw the Ring doorbell company had some issues and I, I did a little deep dive into it. And it's really, speaking of people, it was a people issue. So the only people that were able to hack the Ring doorbells is when the people installed the Ring doorbells, they kept the default password. They didn't enable a dual authentication and their Wi-Fi router had the same generic password that it came with. So they didn't change anything. If you had that scenario, people were able to hack it. So it really wasn't Ring's issue, even though Ring's taking a black eye in public, it was a user issue. And in our industry, you know, you got a guy that's wrapping chain around pipe. He doesn't even think about cybersecurity. He's just trying to get his job done. And as a company, you need to think about that for them. And to your point, Armando, we need to make sure that we do it in a way that's secure, that protects the company, but allows the guy to do his job. That's correct. Yeah. So another thing I want to kind of talk about, so y'all have this experience and in the field and y'all have worked with companies both from a greenfield from like day zero to legacy companies to mergers and acquisitions. What do y'all see the future bringing as far as things like cybersecurity for the oil and gas industry? Is the future going to get better? Is the future going to get worse? Is something- I, I think one of the, one of the you know, first steps that we've seen an improvement in is in contract language. I think today you're seeing a lot of language and contracts, not only do, you know, acquisitions and mergers, but, you know, service providers, vendors, you know, making sure that solutions that are, that you, you know, our clients are, are procuring have good, secure measures and controls in place. I think that's kind of one of the first steps. And then the second step we're seeing is, is just that awareness for the entire user community for our clients, right? They are, they're having programs now, they have programs in place to actually treat cybersecurity like safety. And Keith, you know, you can talk a lot more about this and, and that's kind of an approach that we're taking is, you know, the safety culture in, in, in our industries is very strong, very high. Yeah. It's been around for many, many years. We're trying to bring cybersecurity into that same realm. That's a great analogy because it really does touch safety. It does touch health, safety, environment. You know? Well, and I think, I mean, the oil and gas industry, know they, we know how to implement safety training. So why not take that same approach and utilize that approach for cybersecurity training, right? So get the end user involved within their typical safety training. And that's a repeatable activity, exactly. right? I mean, they they have to do that frequently and and make sure that they have their license to operate based on safety. So you incorporate the security aspect into that, cybersecurity. I that. love that. I Because it really should be incorporated HSE. It really shouldn't. In today's world, that should be a part of it. Now, is is that something y'all help your clients with? If your clients needed some training around that, is that something y'all also provide? Yes, absolutely. We can provide some training. And we also... 
you know, we like I said, we like to start in the policies and standards and, and the training has to incorporate that because, you know, you've got a user in the field that wants to know why he's doing that. Why does that policy state that? So all of that is all part of that program that we help our clients kind of, you know, start and work all the way through the life cycle of that to make sure that, that it's, it's something that they can roll out and be successful at and continue to keep it evergreen and, and, and something that, you know, just lost my train of thought. on. <laughs> but, you know, it's something that they can keep as a as ongoing. A, task. Yeah, yeah, it's it's an ongoing function of it, just their. It's almost like their day to day. It's like you get up, exactly. put your steel toes on. You know, you need to not pick up that USB drive and plug in and see what's on and, it. And that that's a very good point, right? I mean, we see we see placards and things all over the place for working safe. But how about. Hey, think twice before, you know, using that USB stick, those That's kind right. of placards and signs. Yeah, and we, we have clients that do a great job, even in their corporate office, about coaching and communicating to folks to use a handrail when they're walking yep. the stairs in the parking garage. Well, the same thing can be true about USB or about replying to an email or clicking on a link. Those same things those same activities can be incorporated into that training program. Man, this has been awesome. I could talk to y'all forever. Unfortunately, we need to wind the show down. And we're at the point now where we're going to talk about product reviews. Please, people, it's gadgety stuff that we review. So if you have some gadgety thing that I can hold in my hand that you would like me to review, please send it in. Unfortunately, I can't do reviews on diesel generators or gen sets or, you know, the big heavy steel stuff. So this is actually a, a, an action camera, Dragon Touch 4K action camera that they sent me in. I have to admit, you know, I'm always telling the truth, and I'll tell you when products suck, and I'll tell you when they don't. This was really cool. I have a GoPro. This is not as good as the GoPro, but it's $43. It's waterproof, very wide vision, good battery life, about 45 minutes of, of battery life. You don't need a separate case for it. So if you want an inexpensive action cam, go check it out. The link's in the show notes. And a big shout-out to Dragon Touch for sending me the camera. It was, it was actually really good. And speaking of big shout-out, if you want to join our street team, which is our all-volunteer group, just go to Facebook, just search for OGG and street team. We ask you to help us with our social media. We ask for an hour's worth of work a week, but if life gets in the way, we don't care. We know pe- people get busy with other stuff and you're really just helping us promote our social, but in return, you get some cool swag, get invited to our local live events if you're in the area. And if we're in some conference somewhere, you come join us as a press team if you're in that area as well. And then a big shout out to BCD Travel. They're our travel provider of choice. They make our oil and gas traveling life so much easier and they're giving away free coffee. And since none of y'all work for BCD Travel, all you got to do is go to the website, go to the show notes, click on the link, and they're just giving away free Starbucks, which I think is awesome because love our listeners. And then finally, we talked about Nutanix. Nutanix enables IT teams to build and operate highly automated private hybrid clouds. But more than that, they're giving away these cool Bluetooth JBL Flip 4 speakers. Once again, go to the show note. You have to register for this. If you don't win one, you can register every week until you win one because it is really cool Bluetooth speaker. And then while you're online, go ahead and go to the allgastechpodcast.com. Give us your email address. We promise not to spam you. All right. So this has been really cool. If people want to learn more about your company, where should they go? www.sgvinternational.com. Yeah, we'll put that link in the show notes. And then Armando and Keith, if people want to learn more about you personally, where should they go? LinkedIn is usually yeah. the easiest, right? So I'm at Keith-Wingate, W-I-N-G-A-T-E. Yep, we'll put those links in the show notes too. And we'll make fun of Armando for his LinkedIn profile because <laughs> it's, it's, it's sparse. <laughs> but he does have one out there. So the other thing that the audience needs to know is that somewhere in the future in Houston, we're going to be doing one of our live events and we're actually do it around cybersecurity. And y'all are going to come help us do the live event around cybersecurity, aren't y'all? Yeah. Correct. Yeah, that's going to be a blast because there's nothing better than learning hands-on instead of you know trying to read a PowerPoint presentation. Plus, we had a great time with our live events. So, gentlemen, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks, thank Mark. you for having us. This has been awesome. So, folks, we're making sure that you don't get left behind one episode at a time. And here are the events on deck. 
Hey everybody, Alex here with the events on deck for January 2020. First of all, Happy New Year. We have a couple of great events coming up to kick off 2020 with y'all. The first one will be a Houston happy hour taking place on January 16th at the Cannon from 6 to 9 p.m. This event will be all about artificial intelligence for oil and gas. Reality, not hype. The event will feature a panel discussion and include drinks and snacks. Be sure to get your tickets. You can find our event right link on LinkedIn, Twitter, or Facebook, or in our Modal Point newsletter every month. The next happy hour we're having is our Denver happy hour on January 30th from 4 to 6 p.m. at Liberty Oil Field Services. This event will have a panel of GEOs and feature a live recording of the Crude Audacity podcast. So it'll be super cool. Be sure to join us. Also get your tickets once again from the links posted in our Modal Point newsletter or on Oil & Gas Global Networks, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. We also will be having a Pittsburgh happy hour sometime in February with the date coming soon. So be sure to stay tuned for that. Other events on deck include the Houston API Energy General Meeting on January 14th. Guest speaker Eric Switzer, VP Global Services of Baker Hughes, will be discussing accelerating transformation in oil and gas. The 2020 Industrial Market Outlook and Networking event will be on January 23rd in Houston, and they will be discussing the latest trends that will impact project spending in North America, including the Gulf Coast region, over the next 12 to 24 months. Lastly, the Wildcatters Ball will be held on February 7th, 2020 in Houston. This ball is the primary oil and natural gas industry fundraising event for the IPAA Educational Foundation. The proceeds will go toward funding the foundation's energy education programs. That's all for this month. Thanks for tuning in, guys, and check in next month for the events on deck for February. Check us out next week for another entertaining and yet useful episode of Oil & Gas Tech Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.